So we come back to part two of the life of Joseph, which is really the story of Jacob as we started to talk about this last Sunday. And I want to read for you a psalm to begin with, not the whole psalm, but a part of this psalm, just to try and put this all in context for us again. We're not able to study in detail all of the events of the life of Joseph, but I want to remind you of kind of some larger themes as we get started today. So in Psalm 46, we read this, God is our refuge and strength. And it's an incredible promise that is repeated over and over again all through Scripture, especially through the Psalms. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we hear Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. You know, whatever upheaval is coming, God is a refuge. God is a strength in the midst of it. And the psalmist goes on to kind of build on that theme of the turmoil of the nations and the wars and desolations that might be taking place. But as he gets down near the end of the psalm, he simply says this, and it's probably a familiar verse. God says, be still and know that I am God. In the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of whatever is happening around you in life or happening within you in life, God's great advice is, be still. Be still. That's, it's a wonderful phrase that simply means, you know, drop your hands and relax before God. Just be still for a moment and know that he is God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And he finishes with a refrain that happens a couple of times in this psalm. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We've been studying Jacob's life for a long time. I reminded you last week from chapter 25 of Genesis through to chapter 50, half the book is really the life of Jacob. And Jacob goes through a whole lot of mess in his life. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He seems to get in trouble everywhere as he goes. But here... We are pointed to the God of Jacob being our fortress. And Jacob learned this through his life. He learned that he could trust God and that God is faithful to his promises, that God walked with him even though all the messes. Why? Because he had called Jacob and Jacob has entered into that relationship with him. And in turn, Joseph seems to somehow have captured this lesson. Joseph somehow captured, God is my refuge. And he lived it out in the faith of his life through the variety of circumstances he finds himself in. Last week I gave you three expressions of faith that I think come out of Joseph's life. Faith, first of all, submits itself to God. That's really a question of trust. It's that question of saying, God, I'm going to turn myself over to you and trust you for all that is, is going to come at me in this life. And then faith honors God. That's really the questions of obedience. It says, God, you are first in your commands and your character, and God, your holiness, 
are going to be defining marks in my life. That's faith. My faith says, God, you are the one that's going to give direction to this. And then faith waits on God because not everything happens according to our time frame. Not everything happens just in the, the way and the manner and the, the circumstances fold out the ways that we want to plan. And faith says, God, I'm willing to wait. And there's a hope behind that. There's a hope that says, God, you're going to walk with me through that. And God carried Joseph through faith, through the pit, when his brothers sold him. They threw him into a pit and they sold him into slavery. And Joseph's faith somehow carried him through that. So when he arrives down in Egypt in Potiphar's household, God in his faith carries him through Potiphar's household as well. He rises to be the most prominent servant and he really manages the whole household because of his character that shines through because he honors God in faith. And his faith carries him through as well. The greatest temptation that, that we know of in his life up to that moment, and we can only imagine as a young man, you know, isolated from all kinds of friendship, that Potiphar's wife comes to him and basically seduces him, invites him into bed with her, and all of the hormones and everything, and Joseph somehow resists that temptation. How? Well, look how he responds in Genesis 39. He says, no one is greater in this house than I am, and my master has withheld nothing from me except you, and because you are his wife, how then could I do such a wicked thing, and this is the key, and sin against God? See, Joseph's life was God is the center. Joseph's life was I'm waiting for God to work things out. I'm waiting for God to reveal himself in new ways, and I don't want to blow it for this momentary pleasure that you're offering to me. It's not worth it. That's a faith and an understanding of the character of God. And even though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And as we read that story, we kind of finished off real quick there last week. The results of that, of course, are God blessed him, right? But not in the way he expected. Because first, Potiphar came home, heard the story, and said, Joseph! How could you do this to me? And he sends him off to prison. He arrests him and he sends him to, the, to prisons which were you know, not great places to be in those days. But as Joseph arrives in prison, even there you see him in faith honoring God and God is with him. And in chapter 39, 21, and we are just going to fly through a lot of chapters this morning by highlighting some verses. If you want to open your Bibles and just kind of start with me in chapter 39, we're just going to keep reading. I'll try to tell you what verse I'm getting to. So in chapter 39, verse 21, we read this, that God showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison wardens. And just like in Potiphar's household where he rose to be the manager of the household, it seems that Joseph rose to a place of prominence even in the prison where he is put in charge of all the other prisoners. Yes, God blessed him, not in a way that was expected. But Joseph waits on God. He trusts God. He honors God with his life, even in his work ethic. 
even in how he works within the situations that he finds himself in, his character and his faith in God shines through, so he is seen as a trusted, reliable individual. Man, that's a testimony of faith. That's a testimony of Christ followers. It's what Colossians calls us to. In Paul's writings, he says, you know, we all ought to do everything we can, that whatever we do, it's to the glory of God. And so Joseph exhibits that. So then we come to chapter 40. And chapter 40 starts with just those beautiful little words, sometime later. It's actually 10 years have passed since the pit incidents. Joseph is now probably approaching 27. It's hard to put together all the timelines in Joseph's life, so you're kind of given these little moments where you're told how old he is. But probably at this point, it's about 10 years after the pit has happened. There's no quick fixes in Joseph's life. It's a problem sometimes we read Scripture just because we read it chapter by chapter, and it's like, wow, that just all happened fast. But there's a timeline. So about 10 years pass by, sometime later, but God is faithful to him. Sometime later, two prisoners, and I'm not going to read this account, just to remind you, you've probably read it or heard it. If you haven't, like I said last week, your homework is you've got to read Genesis 25 to 50. All right, but what happens in chapter 40 is two new prisoners are brought into the prison, the king's cupbearer, Pharaoh's cupbearer, and Pharaoh's baker. The cupbearer was the one who brought the wine to him and probably was more like a taster. So a very important role, the baker, we know what a baker is. You know, he's feeding the king. And so two, play, two people of prominence, and for whatever reason, they are thrown. They fall out of favor with Pharaoh, thrown into prison, and both of these men have dreams one night. And Joseph, if you recall, is in the dream business. Joseph, somehow God has given him the ability to understand dreams. And he says to these men, don't interpretations belong to God? Again, Joseph's faith, which points always to God, points away from himself, but says, here's what God will do. And so he says, interpretations belong to God. And so he hears the dreams, and he says, well, there's good news and bad news. Good news is, cupbearer, you are going to be elevated back to your position of prominence. And baker, sorry, it's in for you, right? This is the end of life for you, in fact. In fact, Pharaoh is going to have you killed. And both of those things happened in very short order. And as those things come true in the lives of those individuals, the cupbearer is restored. Joseph, at the end of, of all this, says, remember me. You know, remember me when you get before Pharaoh. Remember me when you're out there free in the world. But in a sense, there's not a chance of that happening. The cupbearer forgets him. In fact, the very last words of chapter 40 is that the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So Joseph waits. Joseph, again, after this moment, a highlight when God seems to have something good happening in his life, is forgotten again, and we're told for two years. What's he doing in those two years? I think he's doing exactly what he did before. He's honoring God. He's doing what God calls him to do, and he's waiting in hope that God will bless him and be with him. And then chapter 41 starts with a similar pattern. You have another dreamer, another need for interpretation. This is two years later. 
And when Pharaoh himself has a dream, and he goes to all of his wise men and all those counselors that surround him and says, here, I've had this dream. Someone needs to interpret it. And everybody comes up short. No one can figure it out. The cupbearer suddenly remembers. And he says, oh, Pharaoh, when I was in prison, I too had a dream. And I took that dream to this young man who was in charge of the prison at the time, a prisoner, fellow prisoner, but he had a place of prominence there. And he was able to interpret my dream, and he interpreted it for the baker, and both things happened. He was hung as spoken of in his dream, and I am here to serve you. And so he tells Pharaoh about this uh, prisoner, and the very next thing you read is that they get Joseph and they clean him up. They give him a shave, they give him a clean shirt. You're going to have to come before Pharaoh. You've got to look presentable. I like that little detail in Genesis. I like just the idea that it tells you a little bit about the state of Joseph because you think he's in charge of the prison, but he's still a bit of a mess, right? It's not a great place to be in prison. And he's being faithful to God, but but it's also a place that he wants to get out of. And so they come and get him, and they give him a shower or a bath or whatever they need to do. They shave him. They give him a change of clothes, and he comes before Pharaoh. By this time, it's probably about 13 years have passed. He's getting close to being 30 years old. In fact, we are told when he comes before Pharaoh that he is 30. 13 years since the whole incident of the pit. 13 years, all these ups and downs in his life. And Pharaoh says, when he comes before, he says, Joseph, I hear that you're a whiz with dreams. I hear you're the guy to go to, to have interpretations made. And so as you stand here before me, I am ready to hear your interpretation. And in chapter 41, that's where we're into now, in chapter 41, verse 16, Joseph says to Pharaoh, I cannot do it. Whoa, probably not your opening salvo with Pharaoh, right? You've been called here for this very purpose, and he says, I can't do it. But, he says, and this is the important thing, he says, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Wow. Wow, where's, where's Joseph? Where, you know, I, I often think about Joseph's life and how did he learn this faith? How did, how did God meet him? We have no recording of God meeting him in a dream or meeting him in a vision. What we have is he lived with Jacob, he lived with Rachel. We talked about that a bit last week. But he's had the experience of prison. He's had the experience of Potiphar's household. He's had the experience of when he's faithful to God, that God meets him, that God walks with him, that God is with him. And so once more in this moment, in faith, he submits himself to God. His confidence in God has never wavered. He says, I will trust God in the midst of this and put it right out there. Right off the bat, it's God that can do what you're looking for. He honors God. I mean, Joseph, when he's asked, could have said, hey, oh yeah, I, I'm the guy. Like, I am dream interpreter number one. You know, I've got a good track record. And, you know, he could have, he could have put himself out there. But instead, he chooses to say, no, it's God. 
It's not me. It's God accomplishing this. God has given me a gift. God has helped me to understand some things. But God is the one who is going to give you an interpretation if you desire it. I believe that's part of his faith. Because he knows if he honors God, if he puts God and elevates God first, that God will walk with him and bless him. And at the end of it all, he's waiting on God. He's simply obedient. He's saying, God... I'll just let you take the lead in this. You know, I'm sure there was a quick prayer, like, Lord, help me. When I hear this dream, help me to make sense out of it. Let me figure it out so that Pharaoh will have what he needs to hear. And so Pharaoh gives them these couple of dreams. Again, for the sake of kind of compacting all this today, Pharaoh had these couple of dreams in which some corn stalks came and ate other corn stalks and some famine cows ate up some other cows. And out of all of that, Joseph put it all together and he said, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be seven years of prosperity for Egypt. There's going to be seven years of bumper crops. There's going to be seven years of good weather and just good things happening. The crops are going to grow, and you're going to be able to fill storehouses with all kinds of food. But there's also going to be seven years of famine. Seven good years, seven bad years. And Pharaoh, God's giving you the heads up. God has given you the heads up so that you can come up with a plan. And you need to plan for this. You need to plan that in the seven good years that you store up, that you don't waste it, that you don't go to excess, but rather you store it up because the seven years will come. And Pharaoh, you need to choose someone to oversee this plan. You need to find a man that would be able to accomplish these things for you. And in chapter 41, 38, you have Pharaoh's response. He says, the plan seems good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them all, can we find anyone like this man, Joseph, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Wow. Wow. Joseph put the plan out there, says, find a man. And Pharaoh turns around and says, you're the guy, obviously. But why? Because you're so clever? I mean, because you're so smart, you're so fast thinking on your feet? No, because the Spirit of God resides in you. I mean, Pharaoh and those gathered around, there was something about Joseph that they said sets you apart from everyone else. The Spirit of God seems to be with you. The wisdom that you have, the, the character that you're demonstrating... You know, the things of your life that we see, we identify as being the Spirit of God. Man, what a testimony. What a, what, what, man, what do we aspire to, eh? I mean, when God is at work, people take notice. When God is accomplishing things, people stand up and say, wow, that's, that's really unique. I mean, just for us as a church family, building this building has been that to a whole lot of people. 
a whole lot of people, when they hear the story of this building, for us as a church, $22 million to see this accomplished, and yeah, we've had a little bit of government help, but as Dwayne was saying at the beginning of the service, there's still a $2.8 million mortgage that we're dealing with because we chose to put housing on the building. And people go, why do you do that? We say, because God. Because followers of Jesus Christ put themselves into the places that God wants them to be in. And they'll accept the consequences, we accept the risk, and we move forward and we look for what God is going to accomplish this. Other churches we've talked to, and they come and they tour the building and they hear the story and they say, wow, God is in this, isn't he? And we step back and say, yeah. God is in it. And, and people begin to ask. It's like 1 Peter 3.15 says. That's that verse that says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And it's really that sense that when we have a hope and a faith and a confidence in God through Jesus Christ our Savior, that people will notice that when we live a faith that honors God in obedience and we allow him to rule our lives so there's an integrity, that there's an honesty, that there's a credibility about our lives because we serve God first and then we serve whoever it is, our neighbors, we serve our people that we work with, that we work for. When that's in our lives, people suddenly say, there's something happening here. And they may not put God language with it, but they say, what's going on? we need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in us. And the reason is because God has us on a trajectory. That there is, a, there is an eternal life that is ours, that is already within us, and we are looking forward to be fully completed in Christ. And it changes me now. It gives me a new focus in life. And we see that in Joseph. That Joseph just continually puts his faith on the line. So that Pharaoh says, is there anyone like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And so he puts Joseph in charge. <laughs> Joseph's life is this series, right, of stuff that, that puts him down in the pit and he gets elevated. And then he gets put in prison and he gets elevated. And then they, he gets forgotten and once more he gets elevated. And here's this next moment. He's being elevated by Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, you are going to be only second only to me in the land i mean he has he has reached the pinnacle at the end of chapter 41 you read down in verse 56 that when the famine had spread over the whole country joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the egyptian for the famine was severe throughout egypt and all the countries came to egypt to buy grain from joseph isn't that interesting it's not buying grain from Egypt, but Joseph's fame was spreading. You know, God has blessed him in this way because the famine was severe in all the world. So Joseph is number two. Joseph, after all that he has gone through, you know, 13 years. Man, 13 years doesn't sound very long anymore, does it? When you're waiting, it seems like forever. But only 13 years, Joseph went from the pit and being sold into slavery to becoming number two in Egypt. Man, is that a God thing or what? You know, this, this Israeli, 
man born in the tribe of Israel. They're not called that yet. But not, not Egyptian. And he's rising to become number two. Faithfully submitting to God, honoring God, and waiting on God, he's arrived. In a sense, you feel like the story ends there, but remember whose story this is. This isn't Joseph's story. Whose story are these chapters? Remember we started last week? This is the account of the family line of what name? Jacob. Right? This is Jacob's story still. This is still the story of how God is being faithful to the covenant that he began with Abraham and then brought to Isaac and has promised Jacob. He promised Jacob he would become a great nation. And as he said to Abraham, that through him nations will be blessed. He said, Jacob, through your family, these things are going to take place. And so you see Joseph rising to this place of prominence. Why? Because it's all about Jacob. And so when you come to chapter 42, you read in the first verse there, that when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, so the famine is affecting them back in Canaan, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Isn't that a great line for a dad? What are you bumps in a log doing? You know, let's, let's get some action happening here. You have no answer. So why are you just looking at each other? He continued, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there, buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Like this, this is life and death stuff. They had to get food. So Egypt had some. He said, go down there and get some food. And chapter 42 to 44 is the story of this reconciliation between Jacob and Joseph and his 11 brothers. And it's a fascinating account. It's a fascinating account of two journeys down to Egypt for supplies during the famine. The brothers unknowingly coming before Joseph, their brother that they sold into slavery, and bowing down before him in fulfillment of the dreams that Joseph had so many years before. It's the story of Joseph testing the brothers' character. He's testing their character, but also while taking care of them. It's finding out what he can about home. Is my dad still living? It's asking questions about his youngest brother, Benjamin. And it's really testing their character while taking care of them. The questions about Benjamin are probably very important. See, Benjamin is the surviving son of Rachel. Do you remember we talked about the birth wars? Do you remember we talked about Reuben losing his birthright and Joseph now was the one who has the birthright? Joseph is out of the picture. Benjamin. Right? So there's family dynamics. In fact, the same dynamics that threw Joseph in the pit. Joseph is wondering, what are they doing to Benjamin? You know, how are they treating him? Is he going through the same stuff that I went through? You know, so he tests the character of his brothers. He finds out that Reuben's heart has softened over the years. He finds out that Judah rises to the surface in this whole process. And, and Judah is ready to give himself up if, in Benjamin's place at the end of the story. And the climax of the travels and the tests is that in seeing how his brothers care ultimately for his, youngest, his younger brother Benjamin, that Joseph begins to have this confidence in them 
And he begins to uh, be convinced that these are not the same brothers who threw him into the pit. And he understands his father is still living. And he's now, remember, 39 years old because seven years of famine and another couple of years have passed by. So all of this time is being put into Jacob's life story. And Joseph works out all of these things. And in chapter 45, we skipped a couple of chapters there pretty quick. Over in chapter 45, verses 3 and 4, you read the culmination of all this. When Joseph is now confident in who his brothers are, 22 years later, he stands before them. And in 45.3 to, well, the next several verses, he says this. He stands and he says, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Whoa, this was mind-blowing to them. Joseph is alive. Well, Joseph is this guy? Our brother is now the second in Egypt. He has the power of life and death over us. He can do whatever he wants over us. And remember what we did to him. They are terrified. But then Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. And when he had done so, he says, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And for two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Wow. That is a faith submitting itself to God. That is Joseph saying, I am trusting God that all things have worked together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's the promise that Paul talks to us about in Romans chapter 8 as followers of Jesus Christ. Our confidence is God puts it all together for us. It's for the good of those. He doesn't say everything is good. But he says when you're walking with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that God will walk with you in the midst of it and you will know his goodness and you will know his purposes fulfilled within your life. Some of his purposes might be a refining. Some of them might be a rebuking. It might feel hard. Some of his purposes might be to lift you up and encourage you. But faith says, I will submit myself to God for whatever his purposes are. This is Joseph in this moment. He's saying, brothers, God has put this together. Don't you see it? It's so that I can save lives. It's faith waiting or honoring God. It's a faith that offers himself as a living sacrifice. It's a faith that's being transformed by the renewing of our minds to test and approve God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is what we're called to as followers of Christ. To honor God in our faith and to say, Oh God, I will follow you and I will give myself to you and I'll be obedient to you. This is Joseph waiting on God. First Peter says, Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials... 
These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, what Joseph is living out is in his faith to God, faith to Yahweh as he was displayed and understood, is the faith that we are called to. It's the faith that we have in Jesus Christ that it might be proved genuine at his revealing. That whatever we walk through in this life, we can have a first response that says, oh God, you are with me in this. It wouldn't be my choice, perhaps, the suffering, the trial, whatever it is that's come upon me. But God, I can know that you are in it because your spirit resides within me and will give me that confidence and that sense of your encouragement It's a wonderful story of faith, but more than that, this story isn't about Joseph. It's really not even a story about Jacob. The story is about God and his faithfulness to his covenant that he has made to his people. It's a story about the greatness of God in accomplishing all that he has said that he is going to accomplish, that the covenant is going to be held And then he needed to work things out so that Jacob was able to get down to Egypt so that lives would be saved through the famine, but even beyond that so that this nation could grow and develop into a great people. In chapter 46, we see Jacob responding to all this. And Jacob gets a call from Joseph to come down and join him there. And he gathers all 70 family members together. And they begin the journey, and when they reach Beersheba, where they reach that place of of an altar, God speaks once more. He hasn't spoken in this whole storyline since Jacob was back at Bethel and the return back to the land, when God met him at that point. And now as he's heading out, God speaks to him once more, and he speaks in a vision and says, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replies. And listen, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. And he leaves Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father and their children and their wives and the carts that Pharaoh had sent. And Jacob and all of his offspring go down to Egypt. And Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons, daughters and granddaughters, all of his offspring. God is faithful to his covenant. God is faithful to those people that he has made promises to. God has made promises to us through Jesus Christ. Andrew, you and the team can come back up. He's made great and precious promises to us. I mean, Scripture is a story of God's grace to his people. It's the people that he calls to himself. And if we have responded to God's grace, his call in our hearts and accepting Christ and the salvation, the gift of eternal life that he has given to us, then we know that his presence is with us and those that he has called his own. I mean, it's the lesson of Psalm 46. That if we are in distress, if we are in question, what did Psalm 46 say? It said, be still. Be still and know that I am God. And the Lord Almighty is with us. 
and the God of Jacob is your fortress. What a, what a great news that is for us. That the God of Jacob, the God the same yesterday, today, and forever. The story of God who did all of this in and through Jacob and his sons and his family is our God today. And in faith in Christ, he dwells within us by his spirit. We're going to end this time by taking communion together. If on your way in you picked up one of these little cups to share in communion, uh, you have them already. We're going to sing a song, and if you didn't pick it up, you can go out. They're still out there in the hallway. But over the next few minutes, we're going to share in this, and there'll be a song as we, as we take the bread and the cup together. But communion is a time for us to reflect on the wonder of God's grace demonstrated to us. The wonder that the God of Jacob is here present with us, and we can understand his presence. It's for those who have submitted to God's gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's for those who God calls his children. It's one of the symbols that God has given us. Dwayne talked about the baptisms that we're seeing in the Karen Church right now and here next week. Baptism and the Lord's table are symbols that God given to us to say we belong to him. And as we take this bread and we drink this cup, we are saying that the body and blood of Jesus Christ was given for me, and I share in it. I share in what it meant for him to die for my sins, but I share in his resurrection to new life as well. It's a time for you to examine yourselves, to confess your sin. It's a time to give thanks to God for his blessings and his grace in your life. It's a call to remember all that God has done for you and to celebrate that he is your refuge and your strength in Jesus Christ. So as we sing, you can take the bread. You need to figure out how to peel that top layer off. But just in your own time, as the song is being sung, just take that bread and remember it's the body of Christ given for you. And then drink the cup. And as you drink the cup, it is remembering that blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And you confess that all to him again today. Let's share together in this.